0: In the back of the Bible, very near the end of it, you'll find the book of Hebrews. And in the book of Hebrews, there's a famous chapter that some people call a hall of faith, but you might even call it a hall of fame almost. Listed in chapter 11 of Hebrews, you'll find some of the most well-known and notable people from Bible history. You'll find the usual suspects there, Noah and Moses and Abraham, people who, even if you're not a churchgoer, you've probably heard of at one point or another. You'll find some other people there that maybe are a little more obscure, people like Enoch and Abel. and Maybe those are a little more obscure, but they're people who have done great things and had great exploits of faith for God all the people that you might expect to find there. But if you look really closely, there is someone in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, that you might not expect to see. It's a woman named Rahab. And that in itself isn't that notable until you read what it actually says in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. And it says these words, By faith, Rahab, the prostitute. And among the names of these great people of the faith, Abraham, Moses, David, all these people that have done these great things, you find, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute, listed among all these great men and these great people. And then if you were to flip just past Hebrews, there's another book. The next book in the Bible is called James. And in James, there's a part of the book where James talks about the importance of faith in action. You can't just have belief, but you also have to have action that goes along with the belief. And in order to illustrate his point... James wants to give a couple of examples. In fact, he only gives two. The first one he gives is Abraham. And we might expect that. Abraham was called by God and told uh, by God to leave your nation and to leave your place that you've known and go to a place that you don't know. And he did. And Abraham was a man of faith. His action went with his works. But of all the Thousands of people that James could pick from all of church or Bible history. The next person he picks is Rahab the prostitute. Abraham was a man of faith and Rahab the prostitute was a woman of faith. And here's my question this morning. Why is Rahab the prostitute, as she's called in Scripture, put into such a prominent place in the Bible? Why is it, uh, I would imagine that most people, if maybe you were casting a movie of the Bible and you're going to place all the characters and you're going to, yeah, we got to get Abraham, we got to get Noah, we got to get David and all these important people that many wouldn't think of casting Rahab. And yet in these two places in scripture, she's set apart and brought out and highlighted almost unlike anyone else. Why is it that a woman of ill repute is put in such a prominent place in Scripture? The answer to that question tells us not only something about Rahab, but tells us something about God and something about ourselves and also something about how we view other people. If we can answer this question of why Rahab is to put in such prominence in Scripture, we learn something about God, ourselves, and the people around us. See, the problem with Rahab is she's the wrong person. The wrong person to be used by God. We often, I think, in our eyes, in our mind, have an idea of what the right person who's used by God looks like. I don't know who that is, who just popped into your mind. If I say, who's the person that God uses? Maybe there's a person that pops into your mind. Maybe it's the Billy Grahams or the Mother Teresas. These are the people that God uses. These are the right people that God uses. A few years ago, a man named Jim Collins, a researcher and business leader, wrote a book called Good to Great. And uh, in this book, he talked about how good organizations can become great organizations. And he gave one large principle in that book, and he said, if you want to have a good organization, you want to make it a great organization, one thing you've got to pay attention to is who's on the bus. What he says is you got to get the right people on the bus, that even more important than the task and the job is do you have the right people on the bus, When it comes to getting the work of God done, when it comes to moving God's agenda forward, most of us, many of us, perhaps all of us, would have left Rahab on the curb, waving and watching the bus as it drives away. Rahab's not the right person for the bus. He's not the right person. She's the wrong person. She's wrong for at least four things, you can say, of why Rahab would be the wrong person to accomplish great things for God and to be included in these prominent places in Scripture. She's the wrong person because she's the wrong religion. She's the wrong religion. Rahab comes from a people who are not a part of God's people. She's a part of the Canaanite people, and they are pagan people who worship nature, who worship creation, who worship uh, the gods of weather, who worship the gods of um, agriculture, fertility gods. She worships many gods. She's the wrong religion. She's outside of the covenant people of God. So she's wrong, she's the wrong religion. She's the wrong ethnicity. Now, we know at this point that your ethnicity doesn't matter when coming to God. Everyone is welcome in. But we can't impose our current lens on history. We have to take history for what's going on at that moment. And in this moment in history, when Rahab is living, God is just introducing himself and revealing himself. And the way he's doing it is through his covenant relationship with the Hebrews, the Jewish people, the nation of Israel. He's revealing himself to the world through his relationship with this one particular people. And he's revealing himself as a covenant-keeping, promise-keeping God. So he makes a covenant with these people. Uh, Rahab's outside of those people. She's not Jewish, not Hebrew. She's outside of those people. He's made a covenant with a group of people, and Rahab's the wrong, wrong group of people. Not only the wrong religion and the wrong ethnicity, she's the the wrong gender, frankly. And again, we have to be careful about imposing our current and modern lens on the situation. Back then, the situation was a lot different than it is now. To ignore the fact that Rahab is a female would be like ignoring what Rosa Parks did, because nowadays... African-American women sit in the front of the bus all the time. But not in Rosa Parks' day, and so it was significant. Same thing with Rahab. Rahab's day, it was the men who were in charge, men who had full control. It was inheritance that passed through the men. It was the men that made decisions. If something great was going to happen in that day, most likely a man was going to be involved. If something great was going to be done for God. And yet here's Rahab. Rahab held up as a person of faith who did a mighty work for God. She's the wrong gender. And finally, frankly, she's the wrong profession. It wasn't just that she didn't have a prominent profession or role. She had a profession that was immoral. And when you think about it, it wasn't her own just her own immoral aspects of it that was a problem, and think about how much pain her profession caused. How many marriages did it break up? How many relationships did it impact? How many families and houses did it impact? And yet you read in Hebrews chapter 11, not just Rahab, Rahab the prostitute, by faith. With all these wrongs, She did end up being used by God in a great way, but why? To answer that question, we need to look at Rahab's story, not her whole story, but a small part of her story uh, that's given to us in Joshua chapter 2. We're not given her whole life. We're not given everything that Rahab did. We're just given one insight into one particular situation in her life that is the thing that changed Rahab, not only changed Rahab, but changed her descendants, changed her place in history, changed her place in God's story. Let me give you a little just synopsis of where we are Uh, so that you can understand, if you haven't been with us the last couple weeks, in the book of Joshua just where we are. So literally, here's a map of uh, where where the people of God are at this time in history. Uh, They are on the uh, east side of the Jordan River and heading over to the west side, which is where God is calling them to go, into a city called Jericho. And Joshua is the leader of the people at this time and he's leading them into this territory and into the city that God has called them to, but they don't know anything about it, really. They don't know much about what they're going into, and Joshua, so what he does is he sends two spies out, and he says, go check out the land, go check out the people, find out what they're like, find out what the tone of the situation is, you know, go do some, uh, you know, some reconnaissance work, basically, to find out. These two spies go, but when they go, they get somehow discovered, found out that they're there. And so they need to hide. And so they go to Rahab's house to hide. But the authorities come looking for them in Rahab's house. And Rahab decides to hide the spies, to keep them from her own government and the own, her own authorities. And why would she do that? Well, I'm going to read Joshua chapter 2. Uh, and uh, I'll begin in verse 8. I think our slides might pick up a little after i'll begin in verse 8 and read through verse 14 before the men lay down she came up to them on the roof and said to the men i know that the lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you for we have heard how the lord dried up the water of the red sea before you when you came out of egypt And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites, who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and to Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and the earth beneath." Now then, please swear to me by the ward that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Here's Rahab. This is the act of faith that's talked about. Why is the wrong person given such a place of prominence in Scripture, the wrong religion, the wrong ethnicity, the wrong profession, the wrong gender? Why is the wrong person given such a place of prominence in Scripture? Because the wrong person at this time made the right response And the wrong person making the right response had changed everything for Rahab and for her future. Because what she says is, your God is God. In fact, she says, he is God of heaven and earth. And you might think, well, that's just a nice way of saying it. But that's not just a nice way of saying it. Because she worshipped gods of the earth. She worshiped gods that brought rain. Her family and culture would have worshiped gods that brought agriculture, gods that brought crops, gods that brought fertility. And she says, your God, this God that I don't serve, this God that my people don't know is God of heaven and earth. And she put her faith in this God evidenced by the actions that she took. I will hide you against my government authorities, against all the gods that we serve. I will hide you in service of your God. And she takes this step of faith. And that's why in Hebrews chapter 11, it says, by faith, Rahab the prostitute hid the spies. Because it was faith in God that caused her to do it. And so the wrong person with the right response is not only saved, but used by God in a mighty way. Here's why that's important. Here's why that's important, for for a couple of reasons. One, it's important because whatever your idea of the right person who gets used by God is, and I don't know what that picture is in your head, I don't know who you picture, the right person, what that comes to mind, you know, whatever that picture is, the right way they act, the right way they live, Rahab blows all of those stereotypes out of the water because she's the wrong person and she is not only saved and, t- and preserved by God, but she is used by God. In human eyes, she's disqualified from being saved and used by God for so many reasons, yet she's deeply grafted in and used by God and set up as a person of great faith. She was a person of great faith because she did something that no one else had done in her, around her. Same reason Abraham was. Abraham was a person of great faith because he went out when no one else was going out. Rahab did the same thing. No family, no friends, no culture, no one to support her. No one else had done what she's doing. And she put her faith in God. And so James sets her up as a woman of great faith. And here's why that's important, because you might think, Well, the gap is too big between my wrongness and God's rightness. The gap is too big between how wrong I am and how right and good God is. And the truth is that faith covers a lot of ground. Faith covers that huge gap. Rahab goes all in with God. She puts her faith and her trust in him. And it's important to you and me because at one time or another, we all feel like we are the wrong person. But that's not really the problem. Because if it was just a feeling, no problem. Maybe tomorrow you feel differently. But it's not just a feeling. It's not just a subjective reality that Rahab is experiencing. It's an objective status that is true about her and that she is wrong in the wrong person, the wrong time, the wrong ethnicity, outside the covenant. She's objectively wrong in her status. Same with you and me. It's not just our subjective feeling that sometimes we're inadequate or sometimes maybe we're not good enough or sometimes we feel like we not be the right person. Our objective status apart from Jesus Christ is separation from God. Our objective status is we are the wrong people apart from Jesus Christ and apart for faith in him. And it's impossible to be made right with God. Because even if everyone is against you, Rahab shows us that if you reach out and make the right decision to God that he is for you. Because if God can save Rahab and bring her family into right relationship, he can do the same thing with yours and mine. A lot of times we look at the outside of things. Whether it's you Yourself, We look at the outside and we says so many things wrong that God can't use me. I, or you look at other people, a lot of times we say, no, that's, we judge them being the wrong person. So many things wrong about them. Recently, someone made an interesting discovery inside a secondhand store in Australia. As, um, they were in a secondhand store in Australia and it was a furniture store. And it was actually a furniture store that... Often the government would um, send their old furniture to in order to be sold. Desks, chairs—you know, you know how it is. It, they replace them and then they send their old chairs and desks and things to this secondhand store to sell. Well, just recently, uh, someone his furniture was in that. Uh, store and someone made an interesting discovery inside a file cabinet that was given to, them, given to the store by the government inside a locked file cabinet. They finally got it open and realized that there were thousands of pages of classified documents, government documents, that were inside these file cabinets that were given away and being sold at this store. The former Prime Minister Tony Abbott said, somebody needs to pay a price for this oversight. Why does it happen? Why does it happen? How does something like that happen? Because someone looked at the outside and said, it's junk. Get rid of it. Replace it with something better. Someone looked at the outside and said, wrong. Wrong color. Wrong type. Wrong person. Or wrong, wrong, wrong. And then the truth is that maybe you look at yourself Or maybe you look at someone else, and we say, wrong. Wrong type, wrong color, wrong, wrong, wrong. But inside, there's maybe something of great value that is only unlocked with the key of faith that God brings to life. That even what looks wrong on the outside is made right with God on the inside. The wrong person with a right response is made right with God. So what do we do? Well, the simple question is, have you made that right response of faith with God? And when we come and we gather here and we look at things in the Scripture and we talk a lot about a lot of different things, but that's the bottom line of all we talk about. Have you come to that place where you've made that right response? Have you recognized the fact that I'm a wrong person and so are you? Because maybe you come in here and you say, I don't think I'm that wrong. I think I'm going to go with it on my own strength. I think I'm okay. You know, I don't, I don't think I'm objectively separated and wrong. I don't think I'm in a problem I can't fix. And Maybe you find yourself in that situation. And uh, perhaps I would liken that maybe to the story I read about recently about... Uh, 85 plumbers who were on a Norwegian air flight. There was a Norwegian air flight that was going from Norway to Munich, Germany on January 27th. And it was carrying 85 plumbers going to a convention. Not a joke. It sounds like I'm making this up. I'm not making this up. It's a true story. The the plane got diverted and had to return back to Norway. Norway. And the reason the plane had to turn back to Norway was because of a broken toilet on the plane. I'm not, this is not a joke. 85 plumbers on the plane, they had to return back to Norway for a broken toilet and the CEO, Frank Olsen, of this company with all these plumbers were traveling with said to the Norwegian media that his plumbers likely could have fixed the problem if only they had access to the outside of the plane. Unfortunately, it had to be done from the outside and we did not take the opportunity to send a plumber out at 10,000 meters. That's what he said. Here's why I tell that story. Because you can have all the talent and you can have all the intellect and you can have all the abilities in the world and you may, but you're still inside the plane. You're inside this wrong, broken world that we live in. And it takes someone outside the plane. It takes God who is outside of our brokenness and outside of our broken world to make a way for us to get out of this and be right with him. And what He's said, is that if you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, that you can be right with God. There's no way to fix ourselves when we're inside the plane. So we need God to be able to do that. And when we do, when we come to the place where we realize we're the wrong people, but if we make a right response, we can be right with God, then God changes everything. God changes who we are, not only extends to us salvation, but also puts us in a place, writes us into his story where we can be used by him. In fact, there's one other place that Rahab is mentioned in Scripture. One other place, Matthew chapter 1, Verse 5, which if you read this, it's probably one of those, I won't blame you if it's one of those places in your Bible that you've read and kind of skimmed over really quickly. It's a long list of names. And -and so-and-so was the father of so-and-so was the father of so-and-so was the father of so-and-so until you get down to Jesus. It's the genealogy of Jesus Christ and in that genealogy it's almost all men except for four women who are mentioned and one of those women is rahab rahab the former prostitute rahab the wrong person with the wrong profession the wrong ethnicity and the wrong gender and Yet written into the genealogy comes a part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. God writes her permanently into his story and highlights it because there were lots of names in the genealogy of Jesus, especially women who weren't mentioned in the genealogy. But Rahab's mentioned. As if to highlight Her faith. She's the first. She's the first person outside of the covenant community to put their faith in God. And you would think if God was gonna have this first person to do it, it would be that person that has the spick and span reputation, is all clean, and everything's good, but it's not. It's the wrong person. And this is the first person outside of the covenant community that puts their faith in God and also ends up in the genealogy of Jesus Christ. That the Messiah would come through her line, the wrong person with the right response, made right with God. It goes with this story of, of example of what happens when you can make the right response. Uh, this week, many of us had heard about the passing, of course, of Reverend Billy Graham, and um, wonderful,, uh, perhaps the most influential Christian. Preacher, evangelist in the 20th century. I uh, spoke to, got the message out to 250 million people or something like that around the world. Well known, well respected, a man of integrity. Um, as much as people have tried to dig for stuff, to try and uncover stuff on Billy Graham, no one has been able to. And he passed away this week at 99 years old, and he'll be buried uh, this Friday. Um, And as he is, he'll be buried, some of you may have heard, in a rather simple pine box uh, built by prisoners at a maximum security prison, Angola Maximum Security Prison in Louisiana, one of the largest maximum security prisons in the country, and the pine box that... um, materials probably cost uh, about 200 bucks is what Billy Graham will be buried in. And the story behind that of how the greatest evangelist in American history who spoke to hundreds of millions of people is buried in a pine box built by prisoners is kind of interesting. It starts uh, back when A member of Billy Graham's organization was taken to Angola prison by Chuck Colson. Chuck Colson's an interesting story in himself when you talk about wrong people. If you're old enough to remember, Chuck Colson or Charles Colson was a senior member, senior White House correspondent in the Nixon administration. He had reached the peak of his career at the, as a senior White House advisor to Nixon, but by his own admission, he was not a religious person. In fact, he said he was extremely immoral. He was known as Nixon's hatchet man. He was cruel. The media hated him. People in the White House hated him. People who worked with him hated him. Everybody hated him. And Charles Colson at one point said, I would walk over my grandmother to get to Richard Nixon. And he said of religion... At that time, he said, I didn't begrudge a man a little religion as long as it was as little as possible. Wasn't a religious person, wasn't a nice person. When Chuck Colson ended up being, uh, having to leave the White House in disgrace with the Nixon administration, he went back to his law career, back to being a lawyer. And so he went to drum up business for... Uh, his practice and he called on some old friends or some old clients and one of the clients he called on was a man named Tom Phillips. Uh, Tom Phillips at that time was the CEO of Raytheon Corporation here in Lexington and Waltham and Tom Phillips had recently been to a Billy Graham crusade and had given his heart to Jesus I won't go into it now, but Tom Phillips has a wonderful legacy in this area of the country of things he's done for the gospel. But one of the things he did was when Chuck Colson came over, Charles Colson came over to try and get Raytheon's legal business, or at least a part of it. And he wanted to talk law, and Tom wanted to talk Jesus. And he talked to him. And he read from him He read to him from C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity, the section on pride. And Chuck Colson, even though he didn't admit it right there in front of Tom, was cut to the core. It wasn't until he went out to his car and was sitting behind his steering wheel that he broke down in tears and gave his life to God right there in that moment. He went home and told his wife, I don't know what happened, but I think I just had a salvation experience. From that moment on his life changed. He committed to coming to know God. It, people in Washington still didn't trust him. Even Christians in Washington had to be convinced to to take Chuck on and to disciple him and to lead him in, in the way of Christ. It wasn't easy but he began to grow. In fact, he grew to the point that his conscience became so sensitive that he pleaded guilty to charges having to do with Watergate that probably most lawyers would say he really didn't have to plead guilty to, and it's even kind of sketchy whether it would have been he really did commit the crimes, but he felt his conscience was seared. He, he pleaded guilty to them, and they were looking for someone to you know, get in trouble for this, and so he went, Chuck went to prison, and while in prison, God got a hold of him and he got a heart for prisoners. And he would start something called prison fellowship ministry that would become one of the largest prison ministries in all the world that he would devote basically the rest of his life towards. And so it was under with Prison Fellowship Ministries that this wrong person that made a right response, Chuck Colson, brings someone from Billy Graham Ministries to Angola Prison, which had huge problems, and and just to see if anyone from Billy Graham Ministry could do anything at Angola uh, Prison. And they did. They did a lot of great things. In fact, that prison has turned around in many ways, uh, and a lot has changed in in that prison. And they built chapels, and they they did all kinds of work there. And one day, Franklin Graham goes down to visit. And while Franklin's visiting, he sees the prisoners making caskets. And he asks, what's the story? Why why are these prisoners making caskets? Well, well, the truth is, there's 5,000 prisoners, and Angola prison Louisiana, and most of them are going to die there. And one day when they were burying one of the prisoners who had died, they were burying them in, I guess, a government-issued box that resulted to a little bit more than cardboard. And they're lowering it down into the hole, and the body falls out. And then they put the casket on top, and they throw dirt on top, and it collapses. And the warden gets some of the prisoners together and he says, guys, this isn't right. Most of you are going to die here. You need to do it with some dignity. You have skills, you're carpenters, some of you, you can build something. Let's do something about this. So they started building these caskets. They line them with mattress pads from Walmart, they build them out of pine wood that they finish and And Franklin Graham went down and saw these and said, that's the kind of, that's just the kind of casket my daddy would want to be buried in. And he bought six of them. Billy and Ruth and then Franklin and his wife. I don't know who the other two are for. But he bought, he ordered six of them. And the three men that uh, worked on Billy Graham's casket, uh, Richard, Grasshopper, Leggett, Clarence, Mr. Bud, Wilkerson, And David Bacon all worked on uh, this casket for Billy Graham, and they said they would pray every morning before the work that they did, knowing that, yes, he's just a human, but it was a person that they felt honored to be able to make this for. And he built him and delivered him in 2006 and been waiting for this week. Ruth already, of course, went home to be with Jesus a year or so ago and did hers, but Billy this week. Uh, now in that pine box. Their initials, the initials of the three prisoners are on the casket someplace. And here's the thing. Here's these three guys that are the wrong guys in the wrong place. And yet this week, uh, for two days, uh, in the Capitol Rotunda, in Washington, D.C., the casket that they made out of plywood will sit in state in the U.S. Capitol, an honor that very, very, very rarely is ever given to a civilian. And Billy Graham will lie in state in the Capitol Rotunda in that pine box built by prisoners at Angola Prison. And how does that happen? Because the wrong people with the right response get right with God and it changes your future. It changes who you are and what God is able to do through you. So if you're here and you're the wrong person, you're in the right place. God wants to use you. He wants to write you into his story. In fact, God's story is full of the wrong people who have the right response. God cannot use the right person with the wrong attitude. But time and time again throughout history, he has dramatically used the wrong people with the right faith. The church is often better at telling the wrong people that they're unusable than remembering that God uses only the wrong people. No other kinds of people exist. The right people are the ones who were once wrong but put their faith in Jesus. This room is filled with the wrong people who have been used in tremendous ways by God because they put their faith in him. Not only does the story of Rahab remind you that you can be used by God, but if you will put your faith in him, but it also reminds us that we should not write off anyone as unusable by God. Because there's no one that you look at that is so wrong that they are unusable by God. In fact, every person that you look at, no matter what you see on the outside, is one right response away from having their eternity and their life changed by God no matter how wrong they look on the outside, no matter what's going on on your outside, you are one right response away from changing, having everything changed by God. Would you pray with me? I'm gonna ask you as we close out our time, if you'd bow your heads and just close your eyes for a moment. And I just ask you to do this just to give you some sacred space between you and the Lord to consider what's been said and to consider how it applies to you and your life, to just take the focus off people around you for a moment and just put your focus on the Lord and you and the Lord for a moment. And just to consider this question, where are you? Where are you with this right response? Have you taken the opportunity to make that right decision, to make that right response, to put your Faith and trust in God, as Rahab did. If you haven't, and you want to today, it's simple, but it's not easy. It's simple in that there's no special words, there's no magic prayer, there's no Rahab just said in her words, "Your God is my God, and, and your God is God of heaven and earth." And I put my trust in him, and it's simple. You can do the same thing. It's not complicated. But it's not easy, I say, because it's taking your control off your life and giving it over to God. It's recognizing that I'm going to take my hands off the wheel and I'm going to trust God with my life. It's recognizing that I am no longer in control, but God is in control. It's taking the hands off and saying, God... You are God, and I am not, and I will trust you, and I will fall. And it's not easy because you may be the only one in your family, you may be the only one of your friends, you may be the only one in your sphere of influence that you know that does it, and yet you know it's the right thing to do, and so it can be hard. But if you know it's the right thing to do, then you should do it. That the wrong people with one right response, become right with God. And if that's where you are today and you want to do that, you can pray and tell God in your own words or you can use the words that I'm going to use and you can just pray them there where you're at. And you would just say to God, Dear God, I know that I am the wrong person, that I know that I have done wrong things, that I have thought wrong thoughts, that I have carried out wrong actions towards people And Lord, today I come before you and I accept your offer of forgiveness. And I ask that you would come into my life and that you would lead me and that today I give you control over my life just as Rahab did, just as Abraham did, just as Chuck Colson and Billy Graham had to do one day that I give my life over to you, that I ask you to come into my life, that I will live my life not only, not for myself anymore, but I will live my life for you. Amen. And it's as simple as that. And when you do that, God says that you are forgiven, that he comes into you to live with you, that he will lead you and direct you. And if you've done that for the first time today or maybe you rededicated your life to the Lord. uh, on that communication card you got when you came in, there's a little place at the bottom that says, I gave my life to Jesus today or I want to know more about Jesus. If you check that off and put it in the box, uh, the bucket on the way out, we'll give you some information to help you in your walk. But if you haven't done that, this morning, then I pray that you would consider why and what's keeping you back from taking God up on that one right response to Him and to His grace. And I pray that you'd do it soon. Billy Graham was fond of saying you don't know that you have tonight or tomorrow. Today may be the moment that God's given you to accept His offer of salvation. And I hope and I pray that you would do it.